Section 4 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett Montgomery. The Haunted Organist of Hurley Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland. The Country Cousin, Chapter 2. This is a dull place, after all said Primula next day, when Hetty, having shown her everything in the house, took her a walk through the best streets to see the shops. I thought that in a town one would see gay ladies walking about, and soldiers in red coats, and a great deal of amusement going on about us. More edges is good nearly, and there isn't so much smoke. You thought it was a city, said Hetty, laughing. I never thought about it being dull, but perhaps it is. We have gay ladies in Smokeford, but they do not walk about in the streets. You may meet them sometimes in their carriages. It is a manufacturing town, and that makes the smoke. I don't wonder at all that more Ed should be prettier. Oh, there is a lady. Look at her hat. And there is certainly embroidery on her dress. I should like a dress like that, only I've got no money. Do you never see any company in your house, Cousin Hetty? Anthony comes often, said Hetty happily, and others come in and out, but we have nothing you could call company. You will see more of life when you go to the milliner's. There will be other young girls, and you will find it pleasant. I ought to have a better dress to go in, said Primula. All the girls in the shops are nicely dressed. Have you got any money, Cousin Hetty? she added hesitatingly. Hetty blushed and was embarrassed for a moment. She had indeed a pound, the savings of years, about the expending of which she had made many a scheme, a present for her father or for Anthony, she had not quite decided. Well, here was her cousin who wanted clothing. She could not refuse her. I have a pound, said Hetty faintly, and you can buy what you please with it. Oh, thank you, said her cousin. Let us go in and buy the dress at once. And they went into the finest shop, where the counter was soon covered with materials for their choice. This lilac is charming, said Primula longingly. What a pity it is so dear. The grey is almost as nice, said Hetty, and I assure you it will wear much better. "'Do you think you have not got five shillings more?' pleaded Primula. "'The lilac is so much prettier.' "'No,' said Hetty, in distress. "'Indeed, I have not a penny more.' "'The young lady can pay me at some other time,' said the shopman, seeing the grieved look on Primula's face. "'Oh, thank you,' murmured Primula, gazing at him gratefully. "'No, no, cousin, you must not indeed think of going into debt,' said Hetty. "'Come home and let us talk about it.' "'Oh, I shall never get it.' said Primula, with a heavy sigh, and the tears rushed into her eyes. "'I will take off the five shillings,' said the fascinated shopman. "'You may have the lilac for the same price as the grey.' Primula blushed scarlet, and murmured some tremulous, enraptured thanks, and the shopman bowed her out of the shop with a parcel in her arms. Though Primula was going to be a dressmaker, Hetty had to make this particular dress. "'I don't know how to do it yet, cousin.' said Primula, at least not the cutting out. When the cutting out was done, the owner of the dress was not at all inclined for the trouble of sewing it. Hetty had turned her room into a workroom, and stitched with a good will, while the new inmate of the chamber sat on the little bed which had been set up for her own accommodation in the corner, and entertained Hetty with her prattle about the life at Moor Edge, the number of the neighbours' cows, and the flavour of their butter, the dancers on the green in summer time, the pleasure of being elected Queen of the May. When the dress was finished and put on, Primula willingly took her steps to a house in a prominent street with 
Miss Betty Flounce on a brass plate on the door, and was stared at on her first appearance by all the new apprentices, who never had had so pretty a creature among them before. Summer was past, and the dark evenings had begun. Anthony, said Hetty one day, your workplace is near to Primula's. Could you call for her every evening and bring her home? Anthony changed colour and looked at Hetty in surprise. Not if it annoys you, said Hetty quickly, but I don't think you would find it much trouble. She's greatly remarked in the streets, and someone who calls himself a gentleman has been following her about lately. Anthony frowned. I should not wonder, he said angrily. She is a thoughtless creature. You need not be so hard on her, said Hetty. She is soft and childlike, and does not know how to speak to people and frighten them off. Well, I will be her knight, only to please you, said Anthony. And see, here is the carving of the design out of your dream. Don't you remember? The face among the lilies, cried Hetty, examining it. And it has turned out quite beautiful. Why, Anthony, I declare it looks like Primula. So it does indeed, said Anthony, turning away. I suppose her face must have come in my dreams, said Hetty, for I never had seen her when this was designed. I have heard of dreams foreshadowing things, but I never believed it. However, you could not have a lovelier model, I am sure. No, said Anthony, and thenceforth he called for Primula every evening and brought her home. Sometimes Hetty came to meet them. More often she remained at home to have the tea ready. At first Primula did not like being so escorted for she had made many acquaintances, and had been accustomed to stop and say good evening to various friends whom she met on her way from Miss Flounce's door. And Anthony walked by her side like a policeman, and kept everybody at a distance. But she had to submit. Hetty, said Anthony, one day, when things had gone on like this for some time, don't you think it is time she was going home? What, Primula? cried Hetty, surprised. Why, no, she does not think of it, nor we, neither. She is sometimes in the way, said Anthony moodily. I never saw you so unkind, said Hetty. Poor little Primula, whom everybody loves. You and I are not the same to each other since she came. Oh, Anthony, we never have any private talks together now. You never speak as you used, because Primula is present, and she does not understand you. I have noticed that, said Hetty, but I thought you did not. I believed it was not my fault. You often talk to Primula about the things that please her. I thought it seemed to amuse you, and so I was content. Anthony lifted Hetty's little brown hand off the table and kissed it. Then he turned away without another word and went out of the house. The kitchen was a pleasant enough place that evening, with firelight twinkling on the lattice windows, coppers glinting on the walls, Hetty making cakes at a long table, Anthony smoking in the chimney corner, while Primula moved about with a sort of frolicsome grace of her own, teasing Hetty and prattling to Anthony, playing tricks on the cat, and provoking old Sib by taking liberties with her bellows to make sparks fly up the chimney. She stole some dough from Hetty and kneaded it into a grotesque-looking face, glancing roguishly at Anthony while she shaped eyes and nose and mouth. "'What are you doing, you foolish kitten?' said Anthony, taking the pipe from his lips. "'Making a model for your carving, sir,' and Primula displayed her handiwork. "'Bake it,' said Anthony, "'and let me eat it, and who knows but it may fill me with inspiration.' Primula laughed gaily and proceeded to obey, and Hetty looked over her shoulder to enjoy the scene which followed. "'It was a sweet face, certainly,' said Anthony, and Primula clapped her hands with glee at the joke. 
Anthony put away his pipe and seemed ready for more play. It was no wonder Hetty had said that he seemed to like Primula's nonsense. By this time, Primula had learned to find Smokeford a pleasant place. Her beautiful face became well known as she passed through the streets to and from her work. Young artisans and shopkeepers began to look out of their open doors at the hour for her passing, and idle gentlemen riding about the town did not fail to take note of her. Her companions were jealous, her mistress was dissatisfied with the progress of her work, and the head of the little apprentice was nearly turned with vanity. One night, Hetty, going into her bedroom, found Primula at the glass, fastening a handsome pair of gold earrings in her ears. "'Oh, Prim!' cried Hetty in amazement. "'Where did you get anything so costly?' "'From a friend,' said Primula, smiling and shaking her head so that the earrings flashed in her ears. "'From someone who likes me very much.' "'Oh, Primula, how cross you are, Hetty. You needn't envy me,' said Primula, rubbing one of her treasures caressingly against her sleeve. "'I'll lend them to you any time you like.' "'You know I'm not envious, cousin. You know I mean that it was wrong of you to take them.' "'Why?' pouted Primula. "'They were not stolen. The person who gave them is a gentleman, and has plenty of money to buy what he likes.' "'Oh, you silly child. You are a baby. Don't you know that you ought not to take jewellery from any gentleman?' "'You are unkind, unkind,' sobbed Primula, with the tears rolling down the creamy, satin-smooth cheeks that Hetty liked to kiss and pinch. "'Why do you get so angry and call me names? I will go home to Moorage and not annoy you any more.' "'Nonsense, Prim. I won't call you baby unless you deserve it. "'Do you know the address of the gentleman who gave these to you? "'You must send them back at once.' "'Primula knew the address, but vowed she would keep her property. "'He bought them, he gave them to her, and there was nothing wrong about it. "'Hetty gave up talking to her and went to bed, "'and Primula cried herself to sleep with the treasures under her pillow. "'The next day, Hetty, in some distress, "'consulted Anthony about Primula's earrings.' Anthony was greatly disturbed. "'I will talk to her,' he said. "'Leave her to me, and I will make her give them back.' And he spent an hour alone with her, breaking down her stubborn childish will. At the end of that time he returned to Hetty, flushed and triumphant, looking as if he had been routing an army, and bearing in his hand a little box containing the earrings and a piece of paper on which Primula had scrawled some words. The present went back to its donor, and Primula was sulky for a week.' One evening, when the spring was coming round again, Anthony called as usual for Primula, but found that she had left the workroom early, as if for home. Arrived at the old bookshop, he learnt that she had not returned there since leaving, as usual, in the morning for her work. "'She has gone for a walk with some of her companions,' suggested Hetty. "'She went alone,' replied Anthony, and he thought of the earrings. "'I must go and look for her.' Outside the town of Smokeford, there were some pleasant downs where, in fine weather, the townspeople loved to turn out for an evening walk. It was too early in the season as yet for such strollers, and yet Anthony, when he had gone a little way on the grass, could descry two figures moving slowly along in the twilight. These were Primula and the gentleman who had given her the earrings, a person whom Anthony had been watching very closely for some time past, whom he had often perceived following upon Primula's steps, and whom, for his own part, he detested and despised. Primula! he said, walking up to the young girl and ignoring her companion. Come home. It is too late for you to be here unprotected. Primula pouted and hung her head. The young lady is not unprotected, said the gentleman, smiling. And pray, sir, who are you? 
I am her nearest masculine friend, said Anthony wrathfully. I stand here at present in her father's place. The gentleman laughed. You are too young to be her father, he said. Go away, young man, and I will bring her safely to her home when she wishes to go. Premula, said Anthony, white with anger. Go yonder directly to the tree and wait there till I join you. The girl, terrified out of her senses, turned and fled as she was bidden. The gentleman raised his stick to strike this insolent tradesman who had dared to defy him, but before it could descend, Anthony had grappled with him. There was a struggle, and Primula's admirer lay stretched on the green. Anthony brought home the truant in silence, and for many days he came in and out of the house and did not speak to her. Primula sulked and fretted and was miserable, because Anthony looked so crossly at her. Anthony was moody and dull, and Hetty, with a vague sense of coming trouble, wondered what it all could mean. End of section 4